everyone. If you have your Bible with you, will you take it out, please, and go over into your New t- uh, Old Testament, I'm sorry, to the book of Job. Will you go in your Bible this morning to Job, the fourth chapter, Job chapter four. As you turn over to Job chapter four and get settled in and ready to study this morning, I want to begin by asking you, have you been keeping up with your Bible reading? Been reading one chapter a day, five days a week from the wisdom literature. I, I so, certainly hope that you have. I certainly hope that by now you have read the first 10 chapters of Proverbs and the first 15 chapters of the book of Psalms. Remember, with the exception being the book of Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, we are not going to be reading any of the other wisdom literature books straight through this year. Remember, in an effort to bring some variety to this particular reading, we're going to be in and out of the books of Proverbs and Psalms and the book of Job for the year. In fact, starting tomorrow, we are going to begin our journey through the book of Job. Starting tomorrow, we're going to begin learning about a man who wasn't just a great man, but the Bible tells us in Job chapter 1 that Job was the greatest man of the East. He was the greatest man of the East, and he was also blameless. He was also upright. He was also a man who feared God, and he turned away from evil. He was also extremely wealthy. He was also a man who had a big family. Remember, the Bible tells us that Job had a wife and he had seven sons and three daughters and he had many servants who attended to his possessions. He had a lot of great prosperity and blessings in his life. And yet, despite his prosperity and his abundant blessings, when we begin reading the book of Job this week, we're going to see that he still experienced suffering. He still experienced trials and and problems. In fact, he experienced some of the worst kinds of trials and problems that a person can experience in this life. As soon as tomorrow in Job chapter one, we're going to see that as soon as God took his protective hedge From around Job, the devil, Satan, the evil one, he began assaulting him. He he began aggressively and viciously making his life miserable. Remember, the devil actually killed all 10 of his children on the same day. And he also took away his prosperity. He also took away his wealth. And even his good health, he even struck him with terrible boils, painful sores all over his body. He brought about a miserable existence for the man of God, Job. And there's certainly going to be many lessons that we learn from Job and how he responded to all of that suffering as we read the book of Job this year. In fact, not only are we going to learn a lot of lessons about Job in this particular reading, But my friends, we're also going to learn a lot of lessons about God. 
We're also going to learn a lot of lessons about the creator. We're also going to learn a lot of lessons about the one true and living God that Job served and that we're also supposed to be serving today. For example, one of the lessons that we're going to learn about God as we read the book of Job this year is we're going to learn that when it comes to God, God doesn't fit in our box. God doesn't fit in my box and God doesn't fit in your box. And someone says, well, Sean, what do you mean when you say God doesn't fit in our box? Well, before I give you the answer to that question, let me ask you to pause, please. And just remember, remember what the book of Job is really all about. Remember that the bulk of the book of Job is really all about these conversations that Job has with his three quote unquote friends about the source of suffering in his life. Remember, Job has three friends, Eliphaz, Zophar and Bildad. And they come to visit Job once they realize he's suffering. They come and see Job after he loses his children and his wealth and his health. And after spending some time with him, they all reach the same conclusion. But they all know or feel that they know exactly why Job is suffering. You see, in their minds, in their minds, Job is suffering by chance. He's not suffering by accident. He's not suffering just because he had some quote unquote bad luck. No, instead, in their minds, Job has to be suffering because he's wicked. He's got to be suffering because he's a bad person. He's a wicked, terrible sinner who refuses to repent. Are you in Job chapter four? Listen to what Eliphaz says. Eliphaz, after visiting Job and noticing the misery and the suffering that Job is experiencing, Eliphaz said this. Eliphaz says in verse number seven of Job four, remember now, he's talking to Job here. How would you like someone to comfort you in this way? He says, remember now, whoever perished being innocent. Whoever perished being innocent or, and, or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, there is this problem right there. Do you see it? He's given his opinion. According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. By the breath of God, they perish. And by the blast of his anger, they come to an end. Translation, Job, you're suffering because you're a bad man. You're suffering because you are guilty. You are not this righteous man like you claim to be. Now go to Job 22. Because Eliphaz doesn't just say that there. He says it in Job 22 and verse number 21. Listen, notice what he says to Job here in Job 22 and verse 21. He says, yield now. Yield now, Job, and be at peace with him. Be at peace with God. Thereby, thereby as a result, good will come to you. Please receive instruction from his mouth and establish his words in your heart. Notice carefully what Eliphaz is saying there. Notice the implication of his words. Notice how according to Eliphaz, righteous people, good people, people who love the Lord and they serve him with all their hearts, they're not supposed to suffer. 
They're not supposed to experience trials. They're not supposed to experience problems in this life. Only the wicked people are supposed to get that kind of stuff. You see, in Eliphaz's mind, if good things are happening to you, if blessings are occurring in your life, that must automatically mean that you're a good person. That must automatically mean that you're a righteous person. That must automatically mean that God's favor is upon you. But by contrast, if bad things are happening to you, if all kind of problems and trials are, are occurring in your life, then the opposite must be true. You must be a bad person. You must be a wicked and sinful person. God's favor must not be upon you in your life. That was the mentality that Eliphaz carried with him in his life. And unfortunately, unfortunately, that mentality continues to thrive even today, right? Unfortunately, that mentality continues to thrive. Even among some of the people of God today, the only problem with that mentality, though, is it's just not true. It's just not biblical. It's just not even an accurate description of what was even going on in the life of Job. And someone says, well, Sean, how do you know that? How do you know? How can you be sure that the thinking of Eliphaz was wrong? Well, my friends, the number one reason why I can be sure that the thinking of Eliphaz was wrong was because God said so. God said so, and I hope we can all agree that if God said so, then that means it's so, right? Go to Job chapter 42. Look at Job chapter 42. God's going to finally break his silence in this book towards the end of the book. He's going to start talking to Job, and he's going to start talking to Job's three friends, and he's going to start speaking to Eliphaz here specifically. Job 42 and verse 7. In Job 42 and verse 7, God has had enough of this nonsense. And he says in verse 7, it came about after the Lord has spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you. That is the one thing you never want God to say to you. My wrath is kindled against you. That is not good at all. God is mad. He's mad at Eliphaz. He says, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right. As my servant Job has. Notice what God says to Eliphaz emphatically here. Notice I hear God emphatically tells Eliphaz that he was wrong. He was wrong concerning the things that he had spoken about him. He was wrong about the things he has spoken concerning his involvement in Job's life. You see, Job wasn't suffering because he was some wicked and terrible sinner. He wasn't suffering because he was some reprobate. He wasn't suffering because God was punishing him in his life. Job's spiritual standing before God, it had nothing to do with his suffering. That's what God is telling Eliphaz here. That's what God wants Eliphaz to understand. And let me tell you something. God doesn't just want Eliphaz to understand that. He wants us all to understand that. He wants me to understand that. He wants you to understand that. Even in our time today, God wants us all to understand that sometimes bad things happen to good people in this life. And sometimes good things happen to bad people. 
Sometimes bad people experience blessings. They experience good health and wealth and big families and big homes and, and a lot of great prosperity. And sometimes good people, good people who love God, they go to church every Sunday, they read their Bibles and they pray. They're going to have bad things happen to them. They're going to have problems in their family. They may lose their job. They may have problems in their relationships, be mistreated. They may even get sick with COVID or cancer and die as a result of that. Sometimes good things happen to bad people. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. A person's spiritual standing with God has nothing to do with their suffering. It has nothing to do with the things they're going through in this life. In fact, throughout the Bible, we learn that there can actually be a bunch of different reasons why people suffer. Have you noticed that in the wisdom literature? For example, when you read the book of Proverbs, you see that sometimes people in this life, people in this world, they suffer as a result of natural consequences, right? Natural consequences. A man who gets drunk and decides to get behind the wheel of a car, he shouldn't be surprised if he gets in a car accident and hurts himself and hurts other people, right? A person who mismanages their money, they're not a good steward of their money, they shouldn't be surprised if they're broke. A person who commits a crime, they commit murder or rape, shouldn't be surprised if they end up spending several years in jail. And a person who is sexually promiscuous, a person who sleeps around all over the place, shouldn't be surprised if they catch a sexually transmitted disease. Sometimes people in this life suffer as a result of natural consequences. And then when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you learn from Solomon that sometimes people suffer as a result of just chance happenings. As a result of just living in a broken and sinful world. And sometimes people also suffer as a result of the wicked actions of others. We see that all the time in our world today. And let's not forget the source of Job's suffering in the book of Job, which was the devil. It was Satan. It was the evil one. It was not God, like Eliphaz said. You see, there are tons of reasons the Bible gives as to why we sometimes suffer in this life. But one of the main lessons we need to take away from the book of Job is we never need to be so quick to lay the blame on God. We never need to be so quick to follow in the footsteps of Eliphaz. Unlike Eliphaz, we need to understand that God doesn't fit in our box. We need to understand that God's relationship with us and his dealings with us is not as simple as we sometimes try to make it out to be. You see, contrary to what Eliphaz said, and contrary to what a lot of people suggest today, just because we serve God faithfully, just because we come to church and we pray and we evangelize and we read our Bibles every day and we try to love all people, that doesn't mean that God will sometimes allow us to suffer. That doesn't mean that God will sometimes allow us to go through trials and, and problems in this life. In fact, throughout the New Testament, we see that sometimes God will allow us to go through trials. And he will allow our, our faith to be tested because he wants to help us develop character traits that will help us become more like Jesus. He wants to help us grow. He wants, us to, wants to help us develop 
virtuous qualities like perseverance. That's what we're studying in Revelation right now. And patience and trust and commitment and maybe even the experience needed to help other Christians, others in the spiritual family who may one day be facing the same thing that we're facing right now. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, right? We don't always know what's going on behind the spiritual curtain. We don't always know what's going on behind the scenes. But regardless of what's going on, let's not put God in a little box. Let's not make our relationship with him and our dealings with him so simplistic. Sometimes we're not going to know the source of our sufferings in this life. There is no indication in the book of Job that Job ever found out the source of his sufferings, but even though God never told him the source of his sufferings, one thing God did want him to know was that he was there. He may not have told him the source of his suffering, but he did want him to know that he was always there with him. This is something that God's going to let Job know when Job starts to question God. Go in your Bible to Job chapter 30. Job chapter 30. In Job 30, we're going to find Job foolishly start to question and challenge God. That's going to be a mistake. And he's going to say this in Job 30, in verse number 20. He's speaking to God here. Listen to what he says. Job, 20, uh, Job 30, I'm sorry, in verse number 20. He says to God, I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. I stand up and you turn your attention against me. You become cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride and you dissolve me in a storm. For I know that you will bring me to death into the house of meeting for all the living. Ponder on that for just a moment. This is not the Job we talk about so often, is it? Well, it's how while Job was a faithful man who did not sin during this rough time in his life, here the Bible makes it very clear that he did reach a point when he felt deserted. He did reach a point when he felt forsaken and abandoned. In fact, beyond feeling forsaken and abandoned, in these verses, the Bible makes it very clear that Job thought that God was against him. He thought God was being cruel and unfair to him. He wants answers as to why he believes God is doing this to him in his life. Job believes God has left him. That God is punishing him. That God is being unfair to him. The question is, was, was Job right? Was Job's thinking right? Was God being unfair to Job? Was God punishing Job? Had God forsaken his servant in his most difficult moments? But since we are blessed to know the full picture of what's going on here, we can rightly conclude this morning that the answer to those questions is no. No. No, God had not forsaken Job. No, God was not being unfair to Job. No, God was not in heaven sitting on his throne, unconcerned and blind, blinded to the problems that Job was facing. Instead, God was right there with him. 
God was right there with him the whole time. Job may have thought that God had forsaken him, but that wasn't the case at all. In fact, it is interesting to me that while Job constantly asked God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing all this bad stuff to happen to me? While Job foolishly questions God, towards the end of this book, when you get to the end of this book later this year, you're going to see that God's going to finally decide to talk to him. God's going to finally decide to answer his questions. God's actually going to put him in his place. He's going to smack him down, and he's going to do that by asking him a bunch of questions about the universe. Beginning in Job chapter 38, after Job questions God about where is God and why are you letting this bad stuff happen to me, Job, or God's going to ask Job, Okay, you want to question me. You want to ask me all these questions. Well, let me ask you some questions. Let me ask you, where were you when I made the world? Where were you when I made the sun and the moon and the stars? Where were you when I made the animals? Where were you when I made the mountains and all the glorious things that you see? Again, while Job did not sin, he did not sin. When he questioned God about the cause, causes of his suffering, there did come a time when God had to put him back in his place. There did come a time when God had to smack him down. He had to remind him of how powerful he was and how little Job was and how he was always there for Job, whether Job realized that or not. God had to remind Job that he was always there. The question is, do we need to be reminded of that today? Do I need to be reminded of that? Do you need to be reminded of that? I ask you that because it can be easy in this life to start thinking like Job, right? It can be easy to be going through some serious problems, serious trials, serious situations, and just start feeling like we're alone. Start feeling like God doesn't care about us. God doesn't love us. God is too busy with, with pressing needs and other places in the world to, to listen to our prayers and, and attend to our struggles. You know, so often we can be tempted, as we said earlier, to put God in these little boxes that we create in our minds. But before we do that, I think it's important that we pause and just remember what we learn about God in the book of Job. We need to always remember that from the book of Job, we learn one of the main lessons we learn about God is God is powerful. He's loving. He's in control. And he's always there. He's always there for his people. He sees what's going on in front of the curtain and behind the spiritual curtain. He loves us. He watches over us. He cares about whatever struggles we're facing in our lives. He cares about whatever marriage struggles we have in our lives. He cares about the anxiety we may feel over having unfaithful children. He cares if we just lost our job. He cares if somebody is discouraging us. Maybe somebody in the church is really mistreating us. God cares about all the struggles. We face in our lives, and let me tell you something, if we pray to God and if we trust him, 
and beg him to deliver us, you know what he'll do? He will deliver us. He will rescue us. He will come to our aid. He may deliver us in this life like he does in the case of Job. But even if he doesn't deliver us in this life, he will certainly deliver us in the life to come when he brings us into heaven. God is always there for his people. We're never alone. That's one of the main things we're going to learn about God. As we read from the book of Job, in fact, because God is so big, and because God is always, always, always there for his people, a third lesson I want you to take away this morning is God is always worthy of praise. He's always worthy of praise. You agree with that this morning? This is something that I think we, we really see when we go back to the beginning of the book of Job. Will you go back to the beginning of Job? Job chapter 1 again, please. Remember after launching a vicious assault against Job, after the devil launches this vicious assault against Job, Job starts losing some of his most prized possessions in life. Remember, he loses all ten of his children, all ten of his children on the same day. He loses his wealth, his servants. He even loses his good health. He gets, he gets struck with these painful boils all over his body. He's, he's totally miserable. A miserable existence. And yet, notice what happens in Job 1 and verse 20. After he learns that his servants have been killed by outside forces, and after he learns that all of his children are dead, he says in Job chapter 1 and verse number 20, it says that then Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and did what? He worshiped. He worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Ponder on that for just a moment. Go to Job chapter 2 now. After Job is struck with these painful boils all over his body, he's continuing to suffer even more. In Job 2 and verse 9, it says, and his wife said to him, do not hold do you still hold, I'm sorry, fast your integrity, curse God and die? Now, let's just stop there for just a moment. Let's be fair here. Let's be fair. While certainly what this woman says here is wrong, we agree with that, right? It's blasphemous. It's not right. But put yourself in her shoes. Have you ever lost all 10 of your kids on the same day? Ever happened to you before? You ever lost all 10 of your kids on the same day? Have you ever lost one child before? You know how painful that is, don't you? If you have, this woman just lost all 10 of her kids on the same day. This woman's watching her husband suffer a miserable existence. She's lost all of her, all of her material possessions. So while this is wrong and, and blasphemous and we certainly don't agree with it, have you ever been going through some things and said some things that maybe you really didn't mean? That's, let, let's put this in real life terms here, okay? She says, curse God and die. She's frustrated. But Job, as a man who led his family, he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all of this, Job did not sin. He did not sin with his lips. What an incredible attitude. What an incredible attitude for a man to possess 
during a very miserable time in his life. Notice how despite losing all of his children and despite losing his wealth, his servants, even his good health, Job did not curse God. He did not blaspheme God. He did not turn away from God or sin against God. Instead, he continued to trust God. He continued to show reverence to God. He continued to worship God and praise his name and be thankful for the blessings that he did have. That was the mentality that Job kept with him during this terrible time. And, and we need to strive to be like him, don't we? We need to always remember that no matter what happens to us in this life, no matter what we go through, no matter what suffering we face, none of that stuff ever changes the facts about God. None of that stuff changes the fact that God is good. And he's holy and he's loving and he's just and he's greater than us and he's always worthy of our praise. He's always worthy of us coming together as a spiritual family to worship him on the first day of the week. He's always worthy of us striving to keep his commandments. He's always worthy of us trying to evangelize and speak of his glorious things to as many people as we can. I don't care what we might go through in this life. I don't care if we lose our spouse and our kids and our jobs and our physical or mental health. I don't even care what persecutions we may start facing in this country because we are outspoken as Christians. We always need to praise the name of God. And the main reason why that is, is ultimately because of what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. If Job, if Job was able to endure and live his life in complete faithfulness to God while suffering, and he didn't have the luxury and the benefit of knowing that Jesus died for him on the cross, how much more so should we be able to do what he did? How much more so should we be able to endure? How much more so should we be able to press on and be faithful? How much more so should we always praise the name of God, even if we have to suffer? God doesn't fit in our box. God is always there. God's always worthy of praise. These are just a few lessons, just a few lessons that I want us to be mindful of as we read the book of Job over the course of this year. These are just a few things that I want you to understand about God as you read this wonderful piece of literature. But as we close this lesson, I just want to close by asking you this question. Are you serving God? Are you serving the God, the one true and living God that Job served? If not, then you have an opportunity as we sing an invitation song to do that. Whether that means you need to respond to the gospel for the first time through faith and repentance and baptism, or if you need to rededicate yourself to him because you have not been striving to be faithful to him as Job did while suffering. Whatever spiritual need you may have this morning, we're going to invite you to come to the front and we'll help you with that right here and right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.